0: Welcome back to Explorers Guild, I'm your host Leah, and I'm here to let you in on the story of some of the best game franchises out there at the moment, in my opinion. So maybe if you're looking for a refresher, a familiar story to listen to, or you're just curious about a game you haven't had a chance to play for yourself, this is for you. There will of course be spoilers and I won't be covering absolutely every detail here in this short podcast, but if something piques your curiosity, it's a game I'd wholeheartedly recommend playing or at least watching a playthrough of online. Over the past few years, Sony has been knocking it out of the park with their exclusive story-based titles, beautiful cinematic games with unique and interesting premises, and the 2017 release from Guerrilla Games, Horizon Zero Dawn, was no exception. You might have seen a few images from the game, notably maybe the cover art, showing our fierce red-headed protagonist battling a huge robotic dinosaur creature. And that really sets up your expectations for the game's environment. There are heavy prehistoric vibes throughout, primitive technologies and civilizations, paired with some really intensely high-tech robot wildlife roaming the lands in place of the organic life forms you'd usually expect to see. And often in games like this, we just accept the world for what it is. You're offered a world that doesn't necessarily have to be realistic or make sense. You're immersed into something that feels somewhat familiar, yet completely alien at the same time. And this world does a really good job of providing that exact experience. The landscapes, the people, aside from their like eclectic dress sense and their preoccupations, they all feel very familiar. But they're juxtaposed by a curious not quite biosystem of robotic animals that the citizens of the land just seem to accept and coexist with. So as you begin your adventure in this world you accept this reality and involve yourself in their preoccupations as well until eventually the basis of what you thought was normal and this brave new world is thrown into question and you realise perhaps this game world isn't so far from the one we know in real life. So what exactly is going on here? The seeming simplicity of tribe life and day-to-day survival of humanity are the signs of a civilization who have no real clue of the history of the planet they're living on, but they're about to find out. We are in the 31st century, and we journey through the eyes of one fierce, highly skilled machine hunter, the fiery-haired and intelligent Aloy. Despite being surrounded by technology, the people of the world have very little idea what any of it really means. They didn't create any of the creatures, and while for the most part they live side by side peacefully, many of the people on the planet view technology with suspicion and superstition. They know of a civilization who once inhabited the planet years ago and named them the Old Ones, and much of the ruins and history of the Old Ones became forbidden over time as the tribes sought to shun that which they didn't understand. And, as often happens, when events transpired on the Earth that they couldn't explain, they rationalised the cause of those events to some cosmic being. Scattered across the varied lands are pockets of people gathered in tribes, each with their own unique way of living, with religions and leaderships to match, all at different stages of embracing and developing technology of their own. The Kaja tribe managed to build themselves a veritable metropolis. They began long ago and found relics from the Old Ones deep in the Earth that told them of the Sun's rotations and behaviours, and they used this as the basis of their research and existence from that point onwards, worshipping the Sun as a deity. The Nora tribe, by comparison, lead a more toned-down existence as an older, matriarchal society who holds strong taboos against technology and worship a deity they call the All-Mother. Their worship centred around a mountain steeped in symbolism that they associated with the All-Mother, and this became their sacred place. The tribes all know of the existence of the Old Ones, and they've seen the proof of a previous civilization, the ruins and the clues dotted around the world, but none of them knows their origins or the reason for their sudden disappearance, yet. And some, like the Nora, prefer not to consider the Old Ones at all. Back to Aloy. Aloy didn't have a particularly traditional start to her life. Rather than being born to two loving parents, she was found by the Nora tribe inside their sacred mountain. For some of the matriarchs, like Matriarch Tirsa, this baby's sudden appearance was considered a gift from the All-Mother. For others, like the High Matriarch Lancerer, this child could only be a curse. There was no way for the rest of the tribe to enter their sacred mountain. So after some debate, it was determined this child was to be an outcast. Rather than being abandoned to die in the wilds, she was placed in the care of another outcast by the name of Rost, and she was brought up respecting the traditions of the Nora tribe, despite not being welcomed by them. After a traditional naming ceremony was allowed, Rost named this child Aloy, and brought her up with full transparency as to who her family wasn't. Rost himself had a pretty tragic story, He was what was known as a Nora Brave, a key member of the Nora's defence, who've successfully completed a proving ritual and showed their skill as hunters and protectors. He fell in love and the couple bore a child, Alana, and they lived happily like this for six years before Outlanders raided the sacred land of the Nora, murdered many of the tribe, including Rost's mate, and stole their child as a hostage. The Outlanders took camp nearby, nearing the border of the Sacred Land, an area off-limits to any Nora who wanted to return to the tribe. And in a deliberate act of hatred and disrespect, the Outlanders murdered their hostages, including Alana, just outside the border. Rust witnessed all of this. With nothing left to lose, he sought permission from the matriarchs of the tribe to be made into a Death Seeker, a person who was given permission to leave the Sacred Land in order to kill others, and who may never return. And their title and position was kept a secret from the rest of the tribe. Rost successfully tracked down each and every one of the group of outlanders, picking them off one by one until the final battle resulted in success, but a life-threatening blow was dealt to Rost. With nowhere to turn, Rost found himself on the border of the sacred land of the Nora once more, and planned to lay there and die. By chance... A Nora hunting party came upon him, and one of the Braves who had seen a similar plight to Rost took the chance and decided to save him, a risky decision in the eyes of those who saw anything outside of the sacred land as taboo. So the matriarchs were left with a tricky situation. They could not find it in their hearts to ignore someone who had fought for them under such tragic circumstances, but he didn't have a place in their tribe anymore. He'd given that up when he became a death seeker. So, as compromise, Rost was allowed to live in the sacred lands in his own little area, an outcast for the rest of his days, never to tell anyone the truth of his past. And so he took that deal quite happily. When the matriarch suggested Rost look after the baby in the mountain, Rost readily agreed, and throughout the years, the training he'd had as a Nora Brave was passed down to the young girl who seemed naturally gifted in the hunt. As Aloy grew a determined, gifted girl, She would wonder why she was an outcast, and why those of the tribe treated her so differently. And this all culminated in a fit of anger when the other kids of the tribe shunned her while out picking berries. Ashamed and frustrated, Aloy ran blindly and ended up falling into a hole, a ruin the old ones had left behind that no one had yet stumbled upon. Curious, but cautious, Aloy explored the cave before looking for an exit, and happened upon a small triangular-shaped piece of tech— that would forever change her perspective quite literally this extremely durable tiny piece of tech that was somehow still working was in fact called a focus an augmented reality device that creates an informative overlay of the world around you when you know how to use it it can become a powerful aid for someone like a hunter who relies on their perception of the world around them to guide their craft When Aloy eventually found her way back to Rost, his first instinct was to confiscate this piece of contraband before the Nora found it, but it soon proved invaluable, and Aloy was allowed to keep it. Aloy's natural talent combined with this focus made for an incredibly fearsome hunter, and as Aloy grew, she sought to prove her worth with the Nora tribe, who thought her an outcast. Echoing her adoptive father, Rost, Aloy decided to enter the Proving so she could win the right to become a Nora Brave, giving her a status beyond outcast and enabling her to feel like she finally belonged. But unfortunately, things don't go to plan. As the Proving draws to a close, with Aloy as the surprise winner, the group are suddenly attacked viciously by cultists with guns and focuses of their own, and many of the competitors are murdered. It turns out, These cultists are particularly interested in Aloy. Her red hair makes her an easy target in the snow, and their leader grabs Aloy by the throat, holding her over a cliff, ready to dispose of her, before Rost intervenes. He takes a knife to the gut, and in a last, desperate attempt to save Aloy's life, he pushes her off the cliff before succumbing to fate. Aloy awakes, alone, and the matriarchs finally tell her the true circumstances of her birth. A major part of hunting in this brave new world involves the docile machine animals that are abundant throughout the lands. They're hunted, the parts that fall off them are crafted into all the cool clothing and weaponry worn and used by the tribes, resulting in their eclectic blend of self-made and carefully looked-after fabric clothing, meshed with the harsh white metals and plastics that offer protection and utility. And as mentioned, these machines, while often huge and menacing-looking, were largely not a threat. They lived side by side with the humans for a very long time, but their behavior was beginning to change. They were becoming erratic. Some were downright hostile, corrupted. As Aloy awakes, she learns that these cultists who had attacked their group had somehow gained control over the corrupted machines, and they were particularly interested in Aloy herself. The matriarchs decided to grant Aloy the title of Seeker, allowing her to travel past the borders of the Sacred Lands to find out the truth. And what lay beyond the borders, the world Aloy uncovered, ended up being much more than any of them could have imagined. So Aloy must set off alone to find the truth of why the Cultists attacked, who they are, and hopefully to avenge Rost in the process. Whilst of course dodging the wide variety of machines that dominate the Earth, These machines self-replicate, and part of hunting them is population control to keep the tribe safe, since it's likely they would overrun the human population if left alone. Not only that, but some of the usually non-hostile machines are showing signs of derangement, and will attack any human they see. Not a huge problem when they're small, but some of these machines are monstrously huge, and pose a real threat to anyone who can't deal with them effectively. Luckily, Aloy is trained, and her focus proves invaluable in allowing her to figure out the weaknesses of the machines she encounters, enabling her to dispatch of them and use any spare parts that fall off to craft new gear for herself. The question of why exactly these machines have suddenly gone rogue and become hostile is one the tribes have yet to answer. The first lead came in the form of a mysterious man Aloy had met the day before the disastrous Proving, a man known as Olin from a more technologically advanced tribe known as the Osoram. Olin, in fact, had a focus of his own, as did the Eclipse cultists. And when they had spoken the day before, Olin's focus had appeared to malfunction in a bizarre way, something Olin brushed off awkwardly. His appearance in the area just before the massacre could not have been a coincidence, and after some digging, Aloy found he had a residence in one of the three major human cities, Meridian, prosperous capital of the Kaja tribe. The journey there proved difficult, with the concentration of corrupted machines increasing and camps of cultists, which with a little help from the Nora Braves, the straggling killers are purged from the sacred lands of the Nora. Meridian holds the secrets to Olin's connection with the Clips. With the help of the ever-perceptive focus, Aloy finds out that Olin did in fact know the proving killers and their savage leader Helus, who killed Rost, but he wasn't involved by choice. Eclipse had taken his wife and daughter hostage, forcing Olin to work with them or face fatal consequences. And we know by now that these cultists don't make empty threats. Olin was no longer in Meridian, but Aloy tracked him down to find him in a huge quarry of sorts, surrounded by cultists who were doing something she'd never seen before. They were excavating machines that had been buried for centuries, awful huge machines of war and death that the tribes had not yet encountered that were being excavated and reactivated by this cult, creating a brand new deadly threat. The idea that anyone could reanimate a long dead machine was unprecedented and it just added to the confusion over the strange machine's behaviours. But Aloy didn't get much time to ponder this before her focus seemed to develop a mind of its own, crackling to life with a voice that claims to have disabled the focuses of the cultists to help her defeat them. Act first, ask questions later when given an opportunity like that. Aloy takes down the cultists and after some difficulty, the machines that had been reanimated, known as corruptors, and is left facing the man she'd been searching for, Olin. This is where the world, as Aloy knows it, begins to twist. The Eclipse, led by Helis, are under command by a huge, terrifying machine they know as the Metal Devil, commanding them to excavate and reactivate the machines that have long been buried. They seek Aloy because she resembles a woman that the Metal Devil wants dead. As simple as that. And when Olin and Aloy first met before the Proving, Olin's focus had not in fact malfunctioned, as you might have guessed. Upon seeing her, he'd been issued a stark and brutal direct order from the Metal Devil himself to kill her. But why? And who the hell was the mysterious, silky-smooth voice in her ear that disabled the cultist's focuses? The voice in her ear becomes somewhat of an antagonistic guide, leading Aloy with the promise of answers. So she travels north to a city of Old One ruins known as Maker's End, a snow-covered wasteland creaking with the weight of its history, steel beams and rubble. Eclipse are here already, hard at work, excavating a militaristic machine called a Deathbringer, which Aloy once again manages to destroy, along with the cultists at the site. But their focuses were not disabled this time, and the metal devil, by the name of Hades, realises Aloy is still alive. And it's here that after some exploration, Aloy finds a door similar to the one in the sacred Nora mountain. A door that once opened will change absolutely everything Aloy thought she knew about this world. It's time for answers, or perhaps more questions. This area of Maker's End was once home to a huge facility, a factory for the Old Ones, a place where a giant corporation known as Faro Automated Solutions created their machines, originally intended to help society. Eventually, the need for war and militarised machines took over and the Faro group began creating fearsome automated battle machines, like the Deathbringer, and the Corruptors. Eclipse had been excavating nearby. And within the facility, there's evidence of a woman, who bears a striking resemblance to Aloy, one Elizabeth Sobeck, a once-employee of Faro's. When the door scans Aloy, a disembodied voice greets her, as if she were Dr. Sobek, And this facility, untouched for generations, completely alien in this new world, opens up for Aloy, who is apparently 355,510 days overdue for her meeting with Mr. Faro. This Faro facility, a home to self-sustaining, fully automated technology and the origin of her focus, provided new insights. Now imagine living in this world in relative primitivity and being confronted with a modern-day facility full of all this tech that was considered taboo, that no one has ever seen, that belongs to the old ones who had mysteriously disappeared many years ago. It's just a little bit overwhelming. The machines that Faro Automated Solutions built, the Peacekeepers, one of their original peacekeeping automated system, seemed all those years ago to encounter an error, that was making those who worked at Faro very, very nervous. Part of the appeal of these machines was their self-sustaining abilities. Rather than being created and slowly deprecating until they're taken away and recycled, these machines could consume biomass as fuel and replicate when commanded to. As machines for war, they could hack military equipment like drones, and they were protected by intense encryption protocols that were nigh on impossible to short-term brute force hack. This, ultimately, was their undoing. Some of these peacekeepers stopped responding to commands, and there was no ability for them to be shut down remotely, because Faro were intent on keeping them secure for whoever purchased them to use in their war. This swarm, these robots who did not answer to commands, who had formed their own command, who could self-replicate and fuel themselves with biomass, could not be stopped. Elizabeth Sobeck, once employed at Faro, a brilliant and talented scientist had resigned after her anger over the direction of the company, not willing to support their military aspirations. When this swarm of dangerous robots, the Faro Plague, became known to Faro, he brought her back in to examine the data. She quickly realised that whatever glitch had caused this rogue group to form had effectively severed their chain of command, making them dangerous and unstoppable, with humanity only having 50 months before all life on the planet was surely consumed there was no hope of containing the swarm and yet somehow life on earth remained Aloy and the tribes were proof of that Elizabeth Sobeck, the brilliant scientist, was tasked with solving this problem that she had no part in creating. Faro had created machines that, against all better judgment, were unstoppable and terrifying. And the only solution was one that seemed unthinkable. And Elizabeth, as you'd imagine, was furious. Project Zero Dawn was what she came up with. A cure that was deemed by Ted Farrow, to be worse than the disease. Aloy was faced with the reality of these revelations, high up in the ruins of the facility, antagonised by the mysterious voice in her focus, and she still felt no closer to figuring out who her mother really was. How could her mother be this Elizabeth Sobeck who bore her resemblance when this woman had lived and died centuries ago? The unknown voice in her ear reveals itself to be a man who had apparently spent decades trying to figure out the reality of the world they lived in, suspecting the truth, but never really finding proof. Aloy had enabled him to find this proof. And this voice, Silence, needed Aloy to continue. And Aloy needed Silence's guidance to figure out the answers in her own journey searching for her mother. Why was Elizabeth Sobeck so closely intertwined with Aloy? And what was Project Zero Dawn? There was also evidence of a military operation designed to run alongside Project Zero Dawn, named Operation Enduring Victory. So humanity did seem to be fighting those robots, after all. Perhaps there was hope for the old ones yet? The answers to those questions lay elsewhere, an orbital launch base that had since been built over and claimed by the Shadow Kaja as their capital. But Hades and Eclipse are still intent on stopping her, Eclipse still operating under the instruction of this strange metal devil that really, really wants Aloy dead for some reason. The Shadow Kaja capital known as Sunfall would undoubtedly be crawling with Eclipse. After a dice with death in which Aloy managed to crash the focus system to stop her being identified by cult members and fighting off Hades once more, Aloy gains access to a vent that tunnels down into the orbital launch base, the Zero Dawn Project Facility. Her resemblance to Sobek once again proves useful in accessing the facility, and hopefully answers are now within her grasp after a long time travelling, fighting, and subverting Eclipse's attempts to resurrect the self-replicating machines of war from the Earth. Operation Enduring Victory seemed like a safe bet from the Old Ones to militarise their response to the threat of the Faro Swarm. Their first line of defence in beating them back and trying to save humanity. A holographic display opens up in the launch base and explains the concept aloud. The operation was in fact not an attempt to save humanity. Humanity had succumbed to the inevitability of the destruction of all life on Earth. There was no hope for civilization to live on. The swarm truly was unstoppable. The operation was in fact created to buy time for Project Zero Dawn to complete. And no matter what happened, whether Project Zero Dawn was completed or not, humanity would become extinct. But again, here they were. And in the next room, the reality of Project Zero Dawn became apparent. A projection of Sobek explained the concept. An AI was to be created that was more intelligent, more complex than ever before. Gaia, designed to brute force the codes needed to hack into the death machines swarming the planet, build arrays to broadcast the signal and shut down the machines, and then slowly, systematically, cleanse the Earth and reintroduce life. They raised the Earth, abandoned it to their own creations, and created a system, a construct so impressive it could bring humanity back from the brink hundreds of years later. A project of intense complexity that Sobek had only 15 months and whatever time the military operation could buy her to assemble. The fate of all humanity came back to this one woman. And the All-Mother Mountain, where Aloy was first discovered as a baby, with its huge, mysterious door that none could open, that was revered and worshipped by the Nora tribe held the key to Aloy's birth. Eclipse strike once again. Aloy is captured and teased by their leader Helis, who tells her the Nora territory is next on the warpath. The word was already out, and Aloy could do nothing to stop it stuck inside this cage. She's forced to fight a behemoth and manages to succeed, but the corrupted machines keep coming, and Aloy is saved by Silence before they race off to the Sacred Lands, so Aloy can try and stop the cult before they destroy her home. By the time she gets there, the Sacred Lands are in bad shape. The remaining Nora are taking refuge in the All-Mother Mountain, where Aloy manages to fight off a fearsome Thunderjaw that was trying to create an opening and tear down the Nora shelter. After a tense reunion with the matriarchs, Aloy finally stands before the Great Bunker Door, and with her newfound knowledge, thanks to Sobek's notes, she's able to gain access. Finally, she can find out the true circumstances of her birth. But what she does find out ends up devastating her. Behind the door lay a facility known as Eleuthia 9, one designated as a cradle. When humanity was decimated, the rogue robots disabled and the earth cleansed, this was the new hope for a future. The cradle was home to artificial wombs, genetic material was used to create and gestate human life inside these wombs, And an array of programs were set in place for these children to grow safely and learn of their history before being released into the world beyond. Gaia would oversee humanity's reformation and make sure any threats were under control. Things went somewhat smoothly at first. Gaia managed to shut down the machines infested on the earth. She terraformed and cleansed the earth to make it safe for new biomass to grow. She planted the seeds of life on the planet and inside the cradles But not everything went to plan the function called apollo was created as a treasure trove of humanity's history culture and existence it was supposed to teach these new humans everything their parents should but this function was mysteriously offline hence why the tribe started so primitively but worse than this the data transmission from the center of gaia's core function gaia prime had somehow been corrupted by an unknown source Gaia had nine subordinate functions, including Apollo, like Minerva that was tasked with deactivating the machines, Aether and Poseidon that cleared the airs and seas of toxins, Hephaestus that created machines to help these plans along, Eleuthia created human life, and Hades was a failsafe, implemented to reverse the terraforming process if it was unsuccessful at producing conditions that could sustain life. This corruption of the data transmission meant these subordinates were cut off. Hades, the failsafe, assumed this meant that the attempt to reintroduce life into the planet had proven unsuccessful, and he tried to do its job by raising the Earth once more. But Gaia knew that wasn't the case, so tried to destroy all the subordinate functions, along with herself, so humanity could continue. In a last ditch attempt to save the entire Gaia system, it sent out a signal to the Eleuthia Cradle to create a human life using Elizabeth Sobek's DNA, a clone that would have the executive access to Gaia Prime so that one day the subordinate functions could be reinstated. Gaia succeeded except for one small part. Hades, chaotic and determined, sent a virus to cut itself off entirely from Gaia's system before it could be destroyed, and now attempts to carry out its core function no matter what, destroying the Earth forever. As you might have guessed, the clone that Eleusia created of Elizabeth Sobeck, the last life created from the cradle and left on the doorstep was our heroine, Eloy. Only she could utilize the master override and access Gaia Prime to stop Hades. But on a personal level, Aloy had spent her life searching for the truth about her mother, about who she really was and where she fit into this world. And she finds out, brutally, that she is a clone of Gaia's creator, created by an AI to serve one function. Stop Hades. The news is hard to bear for someone who lost her only connection to this world, her adoptive father, to the hands of the Eclipse cultists. But she forges onward knowing that Earth's future is in her hands. The question of what the mysterious signal was, or where it came from, that managed to disrupt Gaia's communications and cause all these problems in the first place remained. For now though, more pressing issues await. It's time to find Gaia Prime. But as Aloy travels to where the base should be, her plans are interrupted, when rumors of even more dangerous machines attacking local tribes filters through. The locals who see these rogue machines as demons try to deal with the threat alone, but unfortunately that doesn't go so well. In helping the locals and defeating the worst of the machines, Aloy is rewarded with information about Gaia Prime, and she scales an unforgiving mountain to try and access the facility. The only other person to successfully scale this being her companion, Silence, whose journey ended up being futile, as he could not access the facility once he got there. Aloy did not have such limitations, her very DNA gaining her access to all the secrets the Old Ones had to offer. But Gaia's self-destruction protocol had not been kind to her inner workings. The location littered with debris, the facility so damaged it would take years to repair and bring Gaia back to proper functionality. Thankfully for now, all they needed to do was to stop Hades, no matter what. Inside the preserved core of Gaia Prime is a grisly scene. This was the last bastion of the scientists who worked on Gaia's systems, known as the Alphas. The remnants of their last days are scattered throughout the facility, and their desperation to complete the project, working on Gaia and her subordinates. When they had succeeded and Project Zero Dawn was set in motion, they were locked in their facility in relative comfort to live out the rest of their days in isolation, while the remaining living organisms on Earth were wiped out by the Fyro Swarm. Physically safe, while knowing all too awarely of the horror that was ongoing outside their sealed doors, and knowing they can never leave, living out the rest of their days in this comfortable bunker in solitude, the last humans alive. That was to be the fate of the Alphas. Or it should have been. In order for this bunker to be successful, it would need to remain undetected by the machines outside. Not a single signal could leak out to alert them to the presence of remaining biomass. This required the doors to be sealed from the outside, but as the robots circled nearby, one of the door seals threw up an error. The only hope was to manually seal it, so without the Alphas knowing, Elizabeth Sobeck herself donned an environment suit, left the facility, and successfully sealed the door, with herself on the other side. The Alphas looked on in horror, knowing Elizabeth had sacrificed herself so they could live. Aloy found all of this in the facility through data files, notes and voice memos left by the Alphas and through a shrine to Sobek, a memorial set up inside the facility to mourn her. Unfortunately, the next room would show the sad reality of the Alphas' life and death. Inside this sealed conference room lay the bodies of every single Alpha, suffocated not long after the facility had been sealed. And a hologram on the desk of Ted Faro revealed he'd been the one to kill the last remaining humans on Earth, alongside purging the entire Apollo program from Gaia's database, so humanity could not, in his own words, repeat the mistakes of the past. Ted Farrow deleted every single piece of human history that had been painstakingly collected and stored for the eventual reintroduction of human life on Earth. He deleted all of it to appease his own sense of guilt. And then... He murdered every scientist in that room so they couldn't do anything about it. While isolated in his own hermetically sealed bunker, Ted had begun to have a mental breakdown, his instability leading him to obsess over the future of humanity. And so he committed his final terrible act and was never heard from or seen again. Mostly because there were no humans left to hear from him or see him. But as it stands, there's no evidence of his life after this and it's assumed he died inside his own bunker somewhere, truly, tragically alone. And that was the fate of the last remaining humans on Earth. Aloy found the Master Override inside the conference room and returned to Silence to try and figure out their next step. Here, Silence admitted his place in this puzzle. He had in fact worked with Hades. He had discovered Hades buried in the jungles, and the two had struck up a deal. Hades taught silence academics that had been long lost to humanity, and Silence serving the AI and teaching it of the new world. And in doing so, Silence had been the one to form the eclipse cult to serve Hades further. What what, what mattered now was Silence willing to help Aloy stop Hades. They realized Hades was planning on using a large spire to broadcast a signal to reawaken the forest swarm, long dormant after running low on fuel. With the power of the Master Override, they could finally stop Hades, so they attach it to Silence's lance, and Aloy returns to Meridian to wait out the final stand. Waves and waves of Deathbringers and other machines of war sent by Hades are set upon Meridian, but they are better prepared for this foe, and they stand tall to push back the attacks by the skin of their teeth, Aloy, Nora, and the Kaja fighting to get through to Hades. The battle is intense. Aloy is forced to fight Helus one-on-one and avenge Rost, and does so with plum. Eventually, she's able to break free and defeat Hades' final Deathbringer and drive her newly-empowered lance straight into his core, overriding his systems and halting the rogue machines. Victory. Aloy and Silence had successfully halted the threat of Hades and unlocked the secrets of humanity. The question of where the signal originated from still remained. Silence vowed to find out, but as players, we are still none the wiser. And as for Elizabeth Sobek, in her environment suit, she had journeyed back to her childhood home in Nevada, where her body still lay, surrounded by flowers, clutching a globe locket in her hand. Aloy found her in a bittersweet moment, her only connection to humanity on this earth, and said goodbye. So, if you'd never seen or played Horizon Zero Dawn before, I can safely assume you weren't expecting that. (laughs) In my opinion, it's one of the best original games we've seen in years. And the combat, the gameplay, the visuals, the audio, they all combine to make it an amazing experience, even if you know the story already. I know I will definitely be replaying it when it re-releases on PC later this year. This is a story of humanity's folly and their desperation to survive, the ingenuity and brilliance of science and how, with the wrong intentions, it can lead to destruction. And for Aloy, this story is one of self-acceptance, of finding her worth beyond the intentions of her birth, of seeing her strength and power for what it is. She's young and she's not very socially practiced, having been treated as an outcast for most of her life, But her strength of mind prevailed, and guided by her patient parent, who encouraged her to look for answers alone, rather than being told. And perhaps we'll find more answers in the next game, with Horizon Forbidden West looking set to release at some point in the next year, and the ending of Zero Dawn leaving the perfect opening to Aloy's next adventure. Maybe we'll find out what they did with all that unlocked knowledge of their past. Or maybe they'll ignore the knowledge, try and forge on, create their own civilization and lives independent of the past the way Ted Farrow had envisioned. I guess we'll find out. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Explorers Guild. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the story of Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, To be kept up to date with future episodes and podcast releases, follow at ExplorersCast on Twitter or myself at Leah on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you again. I'll see you next time. Bye!